And so today, this morning, I'm so grateful to be with you. I'm so fascinated by the story of the Easter story. It's an important one for our salvation. In fact, nothing we do makes sense unless you understand what happens this week. In fact, you would probably think we were nuts for what we're doing if you didn't understand what's happening in the Easter week. In fact, none of it is even remotely reasonable if you don't dig into Easter a little bit. Last week we talked about the idea that Jesus was triumphantly entering into Jerusalem. That's what we refer to as Palm Sunday. They wave palms. We'll do that next year, I promise. We wave palms in the church because Jesus was received as king. But he had been telling the disciples all along, I'm going to get there, but I'm going to suffer and die. They didn't understand. You see, the problem with death up until that point is that it was the immovable, unstoppable force. Death literally represented the last thing. Thank you, Jesus. But the scripture tells us that death was defeated by the cross. Ah, that's just a wonderful promise. That's why I get so excited on Sundays because death is defeated by the cross. And I was reading the scriptures uh, this week. There's two scriptures I really want to get into. Um, Luke 24 has, contains one of the most powerful scriptures that I want to go into. And then St. John chapter 20. I usually talk at Easter time about Peter. The apostle Peter was, you know, he was the kind of person who spoke first, thought second. He, he was really demonstrative in his beliefs. But then when he was at that critical point when he could have said, yes, that's the Christ I've been hanging out with for the last three years, he folded. You remember that? He, they said, aren't you? The, you even sound like him. And he, and he literally cursed at them and said, I'm not that person. Leave me out of that. That's not me. Remember him? And then after, when he realizes that Jesus might be alive, the scripture tells us that he runs to the tomb. He runs and out sprints everybody just at the possibility of redemption that's what I usually speak about during Easter this year however I've decided to take a little bit of a detour from Peter I love Peter story of Peter's fantastic but today I want to talk about Thomas ah that Thomas is the guy I feel the worst for because he's the guy whose name was changed literally to represent his worst day I don't know about you but that would be terrible for me like we call him Doubting Thomas. That's how we refer to him of doubting Thomas. Your worst day becomes your new name. That would be awful for us because it reveals everything about the person we assume you to be. But I'm here to tell you that even doubting Thomas was redeemed. (laughs) Even doubting Thomas was redeemed. Two scriptures I want to put into your hearing. Uh, First one, St. Luke chapter 24. Let me read this out and then I'll move to St. John, which is where I'll be sitting. St. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. This is description of the resurrection morning, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came unto the sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. I get too excited about the word, so I'm going to have to stop right there just for a second. But, but, Jesus, but the, the scripture's telling us here that they thought the situation was over, mm-hmm. and the shock of getting the stone rolled away 
is the start of this story. Because in this moment, we have the impossible being challenged and we are being shown the unexpected. Like I didn't expect there to be a stone rolled away. There are situations that you're dealing with that you're assuming I'm just gonna have to live with this until I'm no longer here. But what the Easter story tells us, if nothing else, is that there is an unexpected and an impossible version of the future in your life. That even though death was thought to be so strong, that Jesus defeated death. Now, before I even keep going here, that's not to suggest death doesn't exist. Doesn't suggest that death isn't hurtful. I'm here to tell you that death is defeated. That's a slightly different proposition. Let me keep going here, because I'm gonna keep going at every scripture I get. And they entered in and found not the body of Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were, and as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, why seek ye the living among the dead? I, that's the scripture I love more than almost any scripture throughout the entire story of the Easter weekend. Why are you looking for Jesus where dead things are? Like you're in the wrong place if that's who you're expecting. Like when you showed up here, you should have been expecting to find an empty tomb because that's what he promised. He said he would die. He said he would be tortured, but he said he would raise up on the third day, and you've shown up on the third day, and why are you looking for him here? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the one who's gonna change the expectations and the assumptions about your future. Why are you looking for defeat when he has given you the victory? Why are you looking for things to go wrong when he said, I'm gonna make all things new? and I'm gonna make it right. Why are you looking for that there? Yes. I'm gonna change my expectations around. Amen. Why? Because Jesus is defeated yes. my worst expectations and assumptions. Yes. They showed up here expecting to see somebody dead, but in fact, he is not here. He is risen. Thank you, Lord. Verse seven, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, rise again and they remembered his words i find it fascinating that now they remember like they knew who jesus was they've been with him for three years they've seen him raise people from the dead they've seen him turn crooked crooked places straight they've seen him make people who couldn't see terminally blind turn them vision and now they've forgotten the one thing he said and now is the moment where they remember Sunday morning, I want you to just remember what kind of God we serve. I want you to remember the possibilities he's put in us. It is the God we serve. He goes on to say, and returned from the sepulchre and told all these things to the 11. Everybody else, they tell them to. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Here's the thing. I'm going to jump to the scripture with Thomas in a second. But if we are honest, no one believed at this moment that Jesus had ridden from the grave. None of them believed it. We point out Thomas 
but none of them believed that Jesus was raised at this point. But Thomas is the one lumped with the nickname of Doubting Thomas. They were all, and that's the thing about us. We sometimes look at each other and say, ah, you're not believing like I'm believing. And only to realize that we've all been in the same position at some point in your life. I'm not gonna call you out of your name, but I've been through the same thing and experienced the same doubt and fear. And their words seemed to them as idle tales. This is what the scripture says. Their words, they couldn't believe that Jesus had somehow raised. Seemed ridiculous. Then arose Peter, but in amongst that doubt, this is what Peter happens to Peter. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. He sprinted. I don't know what kind of times he would get for the 60, but this guy sprinted. Ran, the scripture tells us he took off running as he heard that and everybody's thinking, ah, this is ridiculous. He's gotta be dead, that's the end. That's what we all know. As soon as you die, that's the end of all possibilities. But as soon as Peter hears that, remember the last time he looked Jesus in the eye was him denying Jesus. And Peter's saying to himself, man, if I could look at him again, I would change my way. Like I'd do it differently if I had one more chance. And that's what to me Resurrection Morning represents. One more chance just to get it right. Hallelujah. Death is not the end. Death is defeated by the cross. So Peter runs with this excitement in his heart, hoping to see Jesus. I want to switch to the story in St. John just for a moment. Again, that would be if I was talking about Peter, but I want to talk about Thomas right now. Um, what I realize is that sometimes when we go through disappointment, we keep that disappointment in our hearts. And we encounter the next situation, not with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh heart, we encounter the next situation with all the disappointment from the last one. So we can make a new friend, but because an old friend hurt us, we will take the hurt from the last situation and give that hurt to the new friend. And they're wondering, well, why are you treating me like that? Well, the truth is there was history there. So the old friend gets to influence the new friend, but they don't deserve it. <laughs> you see what I mean? Sometimes hurt travels with you. And I think when we read the story of Thomas, we need to understand what he's been through first. The story of Thomas, we don't know a lot about the character Thomas. We know he was a disciple and an apostle. We know that Jesus sent him out with Matthew to pray for people. We also know the other part that we realize from scripture is that when, um, when, when Jesus went to go heal Lazarus, go to raise him from the dead, all the disciples said, we're gonna die if we go in that area. They're, they're out to kill us. And Thomas said, well, let's just go and die. If he, that's what the master wants, let's just go. He was happy to go, but he says, let's just go. It's not gonna be good for us, let's, let's go anyway. So that's pretty much all we know about Thomas. And then somehow he's got this label of doubting Thomas. Let's go into the scripture and see why. St. John chapter 20, verse 19. And it reads this, the same day at the evening before the first day of the week. So we are still in this week of resurrection week. Jesus is raised from the grave. Mary's seen them and the ladies have seen them. And Peter's seen the empty tomb. And this is what we have the same evening. Uh, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. 
There's a lock, they're inside, locked themselves in. They're afraid of being the same people who killed Jesus, that they're afraid that they're going to kill them. They've locked themselves inside. There's, there's, unfortunately, at this point, there's only 10 of them, but they've locked themselves in the room. And Jesus shows up and says, Shalom. Shalom to you. Peace be unto you. Jesus stands in the midst of their worry, concern, and doubt, and fear, and says, Peace. I don't know about you, sometimes I just need people to show up and just bring some peace with you. Like I don't need, I know what you need from me, but I need some peace today. And Jesus shows up in the midst of the disciples and says, peace, peace, peace. The worry, the concern, the stress of this week of the crucifixion to see death put on Jesus was unbearable. The situation that they had gone through, the things that they had seen, the things that had been done to Jesus, that one who they assumed was Lord and Christ was now dead. And Jesus stands up in the midst of them and says, peace, peace. Look what happens here. Verse 20, and when he, said, when he had said so, he shooed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Meaning Jesus had showed up with all this declaration of peace, but they still didn't get it. The scripture tells us that they, then he shows them evidence, then they see who he is. They understand who he is. What I find about, interesting about this is oftentimes we are at different places in our salvation. And because we're at different places in our salvation, we need different kinds of encouragement and coaxing. Like where I am, maybe if I had just seen Jesus, that's all I needed. I didn't need to, you didn't have to show me wounds, just, just show up. But some of us need a greater and deeper experience to understand that Jesus is here. So he ends up showing them the wounds, showing the things in his hands. And they take this testimony and the scripture says, and when they had said so, he showed them his wounds, then the disciples then were the disciples glad. I think this might be an understatement. I think I might, in fact, have been doing backflips had I realized that the Savior just got in the room. Like, the door was locked. I know I locked the door. Like, that was what I know we did because we were scared out of our minds that the Jews were going to come in and destroy us just like they destroyed him. But Jesus was in the middle of the room and saying peace. Yes. You set up your security system and it was wonderful and it was great, but Jesus stood in the room yes. and said peace. Yes. <laughs> All the things you're gonna set up to set, set up peace in your house, yes. you may have ADT, you're gonna have a God, you're gonna have all the things that you're gonna set up, but what I need to come in my house, what I need to be in the middle of my room, is Jesus to speak peace. Uh, yeah, I, I am all for every bit of um, therapy, books we can read to make yourselves better, do them all. I am all for them all. But when it comes to my genuine peace at the center of me, I'm gonna ask for Jesus to show up and speak peace. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, and when he had said, he showed him his hands, his side, then were the disciples glad. I think they were more than glad. When they saw the Lord, and then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. He says peace again. Their gladness is swelled up, but he says, I want to make sure you have peace. Yes. 
I'm glad you're glad, but I want you to have peace. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send to you. And when he hath said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whoever sins ye remit, they are remitted. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Verse 24, this is where I wanted to get to. I'm almost there now. Verse 24, but Thomas, ah, you don't want to ever have your, after the wonderful things you, somebody says about Jesus and the words Jesus uses, the last thing you want to do is have somebody say, but, and your name at the end. That's like, that's like, that's not right. Like, um, um, Jesus healed the, healed the blind, but Mark, no, that doesn't sound right. It's you know what's about to happen is not good. They're setting up Thomas right here, and he's right to do so. It says, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. I found this interesting. They're on the run. They're scared of the authorities who have just killed their Lord, Savior, the yes, Son of God. Yes. They've just killed him. But Thomas isn't with the rest of them. In fact, he's with the rest of the 10. Judas has, has betrayed and died now at this point. So he is missing. Thomas is not with them. And I find this interesting. Because I think what has happened here is that Thomas has gone through too much and he's not in the safety of the company of the others because I don't think we realize sometimes that we're not all the same and the way things impact me, they impact you differently, right? Even though we kind of go through the same and similar things, like how it impacts you and how it informs your decisions is gonna be different to the way it does me. Now we find out that Thomas isn't even with them the first encounter of Jesus. He's somewhere else. And that separation from the company must have been, there must have been a reason behind this. My genuine belief here is that the impact of losing the Savior impacted Thomas way more than the others. Like he couldn't even be around what the, the people who were left over was. He is somewhere else. He's not with the 11. He's not with his brothers. He's not with the people who would have the closest relationship with Jesus. And for us to deny that that sometimes happened is to deny the power of this Easter Sunday. Because I believe that the ones who stray the furthest have the greatest potential. The greatest potential for salvation. You're going to see something happen in this scripture that happens literally nowhere else in the Gospels. I'm setting this up. Give me a moment here. He says, uh, verse, which verse did I get down to? 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails. They've said to Thomas now, hey, we've seen the Lord just last night. We saw him. And there's a couple of things Thomas could have said at this point. What did he say would have been the thing I hope I would say. Like, how, did, how is it would have been the thing I would have said. When can I see him would have been the thing I would have said. But I think Thomas isn't speaking from curiosity because curiosity gets taken out of you when you have fear in your heart. What I think is happening with Thomas is that he's seen the trauma that Jesus went through, yes. seen the death he went to, but doesn't understand that death is defeated yet. He doesn't understand it yet. All he sees is that death is not only the worst thing, but death is the last thing. 
The thing that Jesus did with the cross is he changed death from just being the last thing to just being a bad thing. The best thing that's gonna happen to you is the resurrection. (laughs) You see, when the worst thing is the last thing, you ultimately lose. But Jesus is saying, even though it's the the worst thing, it's no longer the last thing. (laughs) Glory to God. That's why for us, when the scripture tells us in Corinthians, he says, oh death, where is your sting? What he's basically saying is if death isn't the last thing, how can I be afraid of it? (laughs) If I assure you that I'm going to pay all your debts, like you won't worry about whatever you've got debt indebted to today, because I've already told you I'm gonna pay it for you. <laughs> in fact, while I don't encourage it, you, you may say to yourself, I'm gonna spend a little bit more wildly now, because he's gonna take, help take care of it. But the truth of the matter is, while we assume that death is the worst and the last thing, yeah, be afraid, be doubt. But when Jesus comes in and makes death something that he can dismiss, it changes the nature of the Easter story. All right, so what does it say? And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nail. Man, he went deep on this. He didn't just say, I want to see the the print. I want to touch it. And he said, actually, go further than that. I actually want to put my hand in his side. That's kind of a bit gross, if we're honest, that I want to be, I want to touch the wound. I will not be unconvinced of the situation I've seen unless I touch it. And we say he was doubting, but the truth is that all the disciples needed to at least see the wounds to understand that Jesus was alive. Like he said, he showed them and they didn't get glad until he showed them. Really, he's doing what the others did. I know we've labeled Thomas with the worst day, but everybody has those worst day. Everybody has that worst day sometimes. But what I love about this scripture is the attitude, not of the disciples, but the attitude of Jesus. Let me read this out. I'm almost done. Um, The attitude of Jesus. He says, I accept I shall see his hands, the print of his nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. One thing I've realized is that sometimes we hold on to hurt. Sometimes we hold on to pain because that's the thing we've grown used to. I think Thomas has, has, has accepted that Jesus is dead and is ready to move on. And he has proposed this as the impossible so that he can be, feel good about f- taking this position. And sometimes we do that. We hold on to a position not because it's good for us, but because we know enough about bad things that we are comfortable staying there. <laughs> but Jesus is going to challenge Thomas. So the scripture says, verse 26, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within. Same situation. And Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, peace be unto you. Shalom. I'm here again. This time, Thomas is here. Now, I want to tell you this. Thomas was doubting, so were all the disciples. But Jesus, knowing where they were, didn't expect them to find him. Jesus comes and finds them. Thomas, who we are calling Doubting Thomas, 
Thomas, who we are calling doubting Thomas, Jesus isn't expecting anything special from Thomas, like, I'm gonna punish you for not believing, no. Jesus shows up again, same situation. If Thomas needs a little bit more help than the rest of them, let me just go ahead and give Thomas the extra help. What do I mean by this? Sometimes we want to punish for people for not believing like we believe. And I don't want to do that. What I want to do that is give them the extra help they need. So what does Jesus do? He says, peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, meaning he's shown up this time, not for anybody else, just for Thomas. Uh, yeah, he's doubting Thomas, but Jesus has shown up just for him just for him, no one else. And that's what I think sometimes, we assume that because we are the worst, the slowest, we understand the slowest and maybe we are troubled on every side and no one else is going through it like I'm going through it and I've held onto my pain more than you have and maybe I've been disturbed more than you have and my faithfulness hasn't been what it has been for you. But Jesus is coming back to meet me where I am. Now where you are, he's already got you sorted, he's set you up, he's good, you're good. Now the Lord is coming for me. Ah, hallelujah, glory to God. We call him Doubting Thomas, but I'm here to say, man, Thomas, once he gets it, he gets it. Let's look at this scripture again. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy fingers. I need you to read the whole thing with me here as well. It says, reach hither thy fingers and behold my hands, and reach thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. This was his instruction. Now there is a painting I remember seeing where it literally shows Thomas reaching his hand into it. It's a Renaissance painting, and it shows him reaching. But that's not actually not what the scripture says. The scripture says Jesus showed up and tells him to, to reach, but we actually never see the scripture say he reached into the wounds. We never actually read that part. The scripture tells him that Jesus said, hey, feel free to touch it if that's what you need, but I'm here. And I'm wondering, I'm not sure if Thomas ever actually touched him, but what he did need was in to be in the presence yes. of Jesus. Yes. Sometimes what people are missing is just the presence of Jesus. And you've gathered together and you've got your people together and you've got the presence of the Lord in here, but somebody's missing. And I'm saying, let's get them in the presence of God. Let's gather again. Let's invite Jesus into our midst so that they can feel the presence too. So what this happens then, and Thomas answered and said to him, a scripture, a, a, a statement that is only repeated right here. He says, my Lord and my God. He recognizes exactly who Jesus is now. We don't see him say he reached into his side, but he sees Jesus, he experiences Jesus, and then he says, my Lord and my God. He recognizes the risen Savior for who he is. He rec not only recognizes him, but declares that he, this is God himself in the flesh. Now to be clear, um, Thomas is a Hebrew, so he knows there is only one God. He's not suggesting there's two. He's suggesting that this man who has risen from the grave is none other than God in the flesh. Yes. I'm so grateful for this scripture, Amen. and I'm so grateful for Thomas's doubt, yes. because in it, I have a more of my salvation laid out in front of me. Thomas's doubt gets me closer to Christ. Thomas's doubt gets a deeper revelation of who's, who, who Jesus is. Yes. 
Sometimes I think we're looking for the strongest ones to always give us the deepest revelation. But the truth is some of that, sometimes that comes from the weakest ones. The weakest ones who dare to believe. Thomas was frustrated and horrified by the brutality of the cross. But he is completely restored by the resurrection. The resurrection represents us seeing the impossible. It represents the fact that there is, death is not the end. Death is frightening, but it doesn't have its sting anymore. It doesn't have that end, it doesn't have that, represent that completely unstoppable force because Jesus defeated it with the cross. I'm so grateful today that you all are here with me, worshiping the blessed name of the Lord. I'm so grateful for his salvation. Everything makes sense because of the cross. If you see me joying and shouting and screaming, it's because of the cross. <laughs> it's because no matter how bad my situation is, no matter how bad my situation is, it's not the end. Hallelujah, glory to God. The scripture says, I think it's in Romans chapter eight, that it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now quickens our mortal body. It's the same spirit that makes us alive today. And today I'm grateful to be alive with you, the people of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word.